All right, chapter 19 is seizures and syncope. So introduction, a seizure is a sudden onset of random continuing electrical impulses in the brain. So when we have a patient that's having a seizure, there's multiple types of seizures that we'll talk about. But what's going on is that basically the electrical activity in the brain is just going haywire and is randomly firing off. Sometimes that can manifest. We can see that externally in the form of things like convulsions or the body shaking. <clears throat> Most seizures that we are going to run on are going to be accompanied by altered mental status as well especially during the seizure and right after the seizure. Seizures can be dramatic in appearance. Some cases, they can be life-threatening. We'll talk about syncope as well. So seizures. Seizure is a sudden temporary alteration in brain function caused by electrical discharges in the brain. Again, the electricity in the brain is just basically going haywire. That Electrical activity going haywire can cause convulsions. A convulsion is the muscle contractions often associated with seizures. And once again, during most seizures, there is going to be some type of alteration in behavior, mental activity and behavior. Epilepsy is a common cause of seizures and is defined as a tendency to have repeated episodes of seizure activity. So the vast majority of, of patients that have a seizure diagnosis, have a history of seizures, they're all kind of lumped into, they have a history of epilepsy. Seizures can result from injuries, trauma, some traumatic conditions, head injuries, et cetera, can cause seizures. And medical conditions can also cause seizures as well. And a large portion, 30% of seizure patients that are ran on are, do occur in kiddos. So pathophysiology of a seizure. If they're having what's known as a primary or an unprovoked seizure, a primary seizure often occurs from a genetic or unknown cause. <clears throat> this patient has a seizure disorder. Generalized seizures involve both hemispheres of the brain. So a generalized seizure begins affecting both hemispheres of the brain. A partial seizure only involves one hemisphere of the brain. A simple partial seizure, the victim remains awake, uh, remains awake and aware, a complex partial seizure, the patient is awake, but is not aware of what's going on. And we'll break these down uh, in more detail as well. So again, a primary seizure, the patient has a seizure disorder, has a history of seizures, or this may be their first seizure, but it's due to that epilepsy or that seizure disorder. Can have a secondary seizures or provoked seizures. These are caused by, occur from an underlying cause. So something else is going on in the body and it's causing that seizure. It's normally results from an insult to the body and are considered very dangerous. So a head injury, patient was involved in a serious MVC, strikes their head, that causes a seizure. That would be a secondary or provoked seizure. 
Several causes and the seizures are usually generalized. So if it is a secondary seizure or provoked seizure, meaning something else is going on in the body and it's just causing the seizure activity, in most cases, those are going to be generalized seizures. And again, generalized seizures means it's involving both hemispheres of the brain. Common causes of secondary seizures. Uh, high fever, non-compliant, seizure control medication, seizure disorder, infections, poisoning, hypoglycemia, hyperglycemia, traumatic brain injury, and shock. So I think there's a mistake in the book because seizure disorder wouldn't be a secondary seizure. It would be a primary seizure. Hypoxia, stroke, drug or alcohol withdrawal, dysrhythmias, hypertension. Pregnancy complications, especially primarily focusing on things like eclampsia. And we'll talk about eclampsia once we get to the L&D chapters. Uh, blood electrolyte imbalances, sodium calcium deficiencies, hyperthermia. Patients can also have just an idiopathic seizure where they have just a random seizure and nobody can really pinpoint the cause of that seizure. So status epilepticus, we talked about status asthmaticus when we were talking about respiratory emergencies, which is a prolonged life-threatening asthma attack. Status epilepticus is a prolonged life-threatening seizure. It's a generalized motor seizure that lasts more uh, than 30 minutes or seizures that occur consecutively without a period of responsiveness between them. So there's two things that are going to comprise status epilepticus. It's either just going to be a very long seizure or it's going to be multiple seizures stacked on top of each other where the patient does not regain consciousness after that initial one before the next one starts. And again, just like status asthmaticus, status epilepticus is a life-threatening emergency. During that seizure, patient is in danger of aspiration. They're having altered low levels of consciousness. They may not be able to control their airway. You tend to not breathe very well during full body seizures as well. can lead to hypoxia. Dehydration. Your muscles are twitching rapidly, quickly, using them heavily. Dehydration is a real concern as well. And those muscle convulsion, convulsions can also cause fractures and dislocations as well. So again, different types of seizures. They're either classified as generalized seizures involving both hemispheres of the brain or partial seizures only involving one hemisphere of the brain. So generalized seizures. These generalized seizures are then further broken down to it's either a convulsive seizure or a non-convulsive seizure. A generalized convulsive seizure, we refer to that as a tonic-clonic seizure, and we'll talk about these individually. Non-convulsive include absent seizures, myoclonic, tonic, and atonic seizures. So again, generalized convulsive seizure is a tonic-clonic seizure. It's also referred to as a grand mal seizure. 
And when you think of a seizure, you kind of picture a seizure in your head, you're probably picturing a tonic-clonic seizure where the whole body is just shaking around violently on the floor. Again, it involves the cerebral hemispheres and the RAS. So the RAS and both hemispheres are not functioning properly. So that should tell you right there that the patient cannot be conscious during a true tonic-clonic seizure. They're going to be unconscious. So the patient is not awake and not aware during the seizure disorder, during the active seizure. So this tonic-clonic seizure, there are different stages that patients go through. Some patients have what's known as an aura, or it's a sensation of an impending seizure. Some patients have auras, other seizure patients may not ever have it, but that aura they just feel that they're about to have a seizure. Maybe smells, sensations, feelings, um, whatever the case may be, they just can kind of feel like, they, like they're about to have a seizure. So if we ever have a seizure patient complain of, hey, I think I'm about to have a seizure, we're going to assume that's an aura. We're going to take that uh, uh, seriously. At that point, after the aura, when the seizure is actually starting to start, they're going to lose consciousness. And then it's going to go to the tonic phase of the tonic-clonic seizure. The tonic phase is muscle rigidity. All the muscles in the body become rigid and tense. And this, the tonic phase of the tonic-clonic seizure normally only lasts 30 to 60 seconds. So this is very quick, very brief. Then it moves on to the next phase, which is the clonic phase. And the clonic phase is the actual convulsions, the jerking, muscle spasms and jerking. Loss of continence is very common. Loss of continence of the batter, bladder, I cannot speak today, or bowels. Uh, biting of the tongue or the mouth is common as well. So that's something that we tend to look for for unresponsive patients. We don't know what happened. Look to see if they bit their tongue. During the seizure, again, they may not be breathing very well. Breathing may be shallow or completely absent. And in most cases, the clonic phase lasts one to two minutes. So the whole seizure is only lasting. Normal average seizures last about three minutes or less. Average response time is typically over three minutes. So the vast majority of the time when we run on seizure patients, they are no longer actively seizing by the time we get on scene. Most cases, they have already stopped seizing. Where we tend to find most patients is going to be in the postictal state or the recovery phase. During this time, the patient's is exhaustion. They have a desire to sleep, very lethargic. Oftentimes, they are altered. They may only respond to a verbal stimulus or maybe even a painful stimulus. And this postictal phase uh, lasts 10 to 30 minutes or even longer, several hours, depending on the patient, how bad the seizure was, et cetera. So again, most of the time we find patients in the post state after the seizures already stopped. So if we walk in and we find a patient having a tonic-clonic seizure, our care for the patient, if the seizure is already stopped, we're going to provide reassurance and conduct our assessment like we would for any other patient. Talk to the patient, get your LLC, go through your primary, secondary assessments, etc. However, if we do walk in on the patient, the patient is still actively seizing, we're going to have to protect the patient 
from injury. We want to make sure we're moving furniture or items away, uh, away from the patient so they're not banging up against those. We need to take steps to protect their head from banging their head against the ground or whatever object we find them on. Status epilepticus, again, is a life-threatening emergency. So if this is a prolonged seizure, we just need to keep that in mind and work quickly to try to get the patient to the hospital. And just follow your local protocols if a seizure has stopped and the patient refuses treatment. Protocols in this region is, is going to be consistent with law. If the patient is conscious, well-oriented, and is able to make uh, informed decisions, then they are going to have the right to refuse care. If they're postdictal and altered and confused, at that point, though, they're not able to make their own medical decisions. So in this region, and should be anywhere, we need to transport them to the hospital. So when do we need to encourage treatment and transport of a patient who has suffered a seizure? Now, many patients, again, have a seizure disorder. So they live with their seizures. <clears throat> So in many instances, we patients may have seizures and we never even get dispatched to. It's just part of their daily lives. But other bystanders may call on them, et cetera. So there are some special instances where if the patient's refusing care, we should try to actively talk them into going to the hospital. If this is the patient's first seizure they've ever had and they don't have that previous history of a seizure disorder, they definitely need to go be evaluated at the hospital. If the patient does have a history of seizures, this prescribed anti-seizure medication, but they have not taken their meds. A lot of these medications, they have to build up a therapeutic level in the body before they start working. And oftentimes, some of the drugs like Dilantin, they can check Dilantin levels to ensure that it's at that therapeutic level. So if they haven't been taking their meds, that's going to put them at an increased risk of having more seizures, and their dosage, at least on the short term, may need to be adjusted. So encourage them to go to the hospital. If the seizure that they've had today has been prolonged or it's different than their normal routine, probably need to go to the hospital to be evaluated. Patient has had multiple seizures. Normally they have one seizure, a seizure every other day or every three days, et cetera. And today they've already had three seizures. So they're having more frequently than what they're used to having them. So there's a change in that pattern. They need to go to the hospital to be evaluated. Or after the seizure, if there's any indications of trauma, hypoxia, aspiration, or any other serious conditions that that seizure could have possibly caused. So again, tonic, clonic, grand mal seizure is what we all think of when we think of a seizure. The tonic phase is muscle rigidity, only lasts about a minute. All the muscles go real tense and tight. And then the clonic phase is the actual convulsions or shaking. Other generalized seizures include a absent seizure, also referred to as a pettit mal seizure, where we and this is much more frequent in kids than it is adults, but it can happen in adults as well. And this is characterized by sudden cessation of consciousness or conscious activity with a lack of vocalization and a blank stare, but there is no convulsions, no muscle shaking during a pedimol. So during a pedimol seizure, especially in kiddos, kid may be sitting upright, 
but and just kind of blankly staring off into space and whatever we do we can't arouse the kid or get them to come to snap out of it. it kind of seems like they're spacing out it could be a seizure characterized by a lack of attention excessive aggressive blinking or chewing etc Absent seizures normally only last very quickly, five to 15 seconds. So these may be happening a lot more frequently than we know about. Just if you're not paying close attention to the patient during this, during that episode, it may just kind of go undiagnosed. Child is unaware of occurrence. Again, they just space out for a little bit. And then five, 15 seconds later, they come back around, quickly returns to normal awareness. And with absent seizures, which is going to be normally requires no emergency treatment unless it's a prolonged absent seizure or it's the first time they've ever had anything like this. And you're going to start seeing that theme for the rest of these seizures. This normally doesn't need to be, there's not emergency situation. Myoclonic seizures, another generalized seizure, involves sporadic beef jerk, brief jerks of muscle groups on both sides of the body. Both hemispheres of the brains are involved, so both sides of the body are going to be affected. Patient can describe the sensation as electrical shocks, but there is no sustained or significant convulsions during this time. And again, emergency care is typically not needed unless it is a prolonged or the first event. A tonic seizure, we talked about tonic-clonic seizures. The tonic phase is where all the muscles go rigid. Clonic is where they start convulsing. When the tonic seizure, they never get to the clonic phase. They just have the muscle rigidity. Characterized by a sudden onset of greatly increased muscle tone in the body, arms, or legs, causing sudden muscular rigidity. And tonic seizures often occur during sleep. During tonic seizure, there's no loss of consciousness, though, if the patient is awake. So they remain awake and aware at all times. And tonic seizures, again, are typically not life-threatening or not an emergency. The biggest fear from a tonic seizure is if the patient was standing up, had that tonic seizure, and that causes them to fall. And again, emergency care is typically needed only if injured from the fall but the patient should be evaluated for prolonged or if this is the first time it's ever happened to them. Atonic seizure is the exact opposite of a tonic seizure. Instead of muscle rigidity, they lose muscle strength. Characterized by the total loss of muscle tone resulting in the loss of muscle strength. During an atonic seizure, patients can present with their eyelids may droop, Head may nod forward. Again, just muscle weakness. Can't, their neck muscles are so weak, can't even hold the head up. And if again, if the patient is either sitting upright or standing, it can cause them to fall down. May also be referred to as drop attacks or drop seizures. Very short acting, so the victim remains conscious and recovers almost immediately. So they get symptomatic, lose all their muscle tone, fall to the ground. As soon as they're falling to the ground, though, they typically come right back and regain that strength in their muscles. 
just like a tonic seizure, greatest uh, danger is going to be uh, from injury if they fall. And again, treatment's normally not necessary unless it is prolonged or first event. Febrile seizures. Febrile seizures are seizures that are caused or brought on by fever without any intracranial infections or other cause. So it's an infection, raises the kid's fever, that increase in fever causes the patient to have a seizure, it's a febrile seizure. And febrile seizures are way more common in kids than they are adults. Treatment of febrile seizures, we do need to take actions to slow, to cool the patient down slowly with possible room temperature wet towels, uh, but we do not want to do anything that's going to cause hypothermia. We're not going to put them in cold water baths, dunk them, etc. Typically, what we're going to do for febrile seizures in this area is we're going to strip them down, turn on the air conditioner, etc., but we're not going to use wet towels or do any type of active cooling measures unless it's just extremely high temp. Kiddos conscious, your protocols allow us to, we may be also, also be able to give antipyretic medication, anti-fever medications such as liquid Motrin uh, to the patient, again, to try to help with that fever. So again, those are, and febrile seizures are generally tonic-clonic type of seizures. They typically are full body convulsions uh, for a febrile seizure. So partial seizures, again, only involving one hemisphere of the brain. We can have simple partial seizures, also known as focal motor seizures. And these involves abnormal movements of only one area of the body, maybe just the left arm, maybe just the left side of the body, but it typically is only going to affect one side of the body. During simple partial seizures, the patient does remain awake and aware at all times. So again, only one hemisphere of the brain has that abnormal electrical discharge. It is possible for that to kind of spread over and now turn into a generalized seizure and both hemispheres are getting involved. And types of different simple partial seizures include motor seizures, sensory seizures, autonomic seizures, and psychic seizures. So motor seizures, patient has jerking or stiffening of only one part of the, or one part or one side of the body. And it may spread to other areas of the same side. It may be the left arm, then all of a sudden now it's the left arm and the left leg. Muscle weakness because of this may also affect their ability to speak. So they may have garbled speech, kind of slurred speech, very difficult to understand during the seizure. Sensory seizures, patient senses are affected. They may smell or taste something, hear something, feel pain or a tingling sensation. They may also have visual hallucinations or illusions and may complain like they feel like they are floating. Autonomic seizures, changes in the autonomic function of the body, 
can include strange sensations or feelings in the stomach, head, or chest. And it may alter vital signs as well. Changes in the heart rate, respiratory rate. You may see a patient has goosebumps as well. Psychic seizures deals with how the patient thinks, feels, or expresses things. So during this, they may have memory disturbances, garbled speech, fear, depression, etc. And some of these items, I mean, we may not even, seizure may not even be the first thing that we're thinking about. If somebody's complaining of a funny feeling in their chest or their stomach, for that matter, seizure is not going to be my go-to. And there's real no real expectation that we're going to diagnose these in the field as a psychic seizure. We're just going to seem as probably a psych patient freaking the hell out. So again, these are things that it can be causing our symptoms, but realistically for us, we're not going to go in assuming a patient is having a sensory or autonomic seizure. Now, if the patient says they have a history of autonomic seizures and what they're feeling right now is consistent with the last autonomic seizure they have, now we can start assuming it's probably, it probably is that seizure. So treatment of simple partial seizures. Again, it's, so most seizures, except for that grandma one, typically don't require any type of treatment. Care may not be indicated unless prolonged or it's their first event. Other than that, we're going to calm, reassure the patient. And again, a concern is that that partial seizure can move to the other hemisphere and cause a generalized seizure now. A complex partial seizure, also known as a psychomotor seizure, involves only one hemisphere. Again, it's still a partial seizure. Again, these tend to happen very quickly, only last 30 seconds to two minutes. And during this time, the patient is awake, has eyes open, et cetera, but they are, have no awareness. Characterized by initial blank stare, followed by a random act such as chewing, lip smacking, finger movement, and followed by confusion after the event. It can easily be mistaken for intoxication. Care for a complex. Speak calmly, reassuringly, stay with the patient until they're totally, totally cognizant, until they're fully aware. And again, transport may not be needed unless it's prolonged for the first event. So again, the vast majority of the time when we are getting dispatched to a seizure, it is for a grand mal, the tonic-clonic type of seizure. And febrile seizures are very common, but again, those tend to cause a generalized tonic-clonic seizure. Secondary generalized seizures occurs when a simple partial or complex partial seizure activity spreads to both sides of the brain and now involves the whole body. So again, secondary generalized seizure starts off as a partial seizure a, uh, and then moves to both hemispheres, turns it into a generalized seizure. So again, we're going to see a simple seizure first. It may start one body part and then rapidly spread into a generalized tonic-clonic seizure. Normally lasts one to three minutes. And again, at that point, we're going to treat it like a tonic-clonic seizure. Same rules kind of apply. 
And if it's prolonged, now we're starting to worry about status epilepticus. And seizures are typically easy. Again, the vast majority of the time, patients done seizing by the time we get there, talk to them, see how oriented they are, and more than likely, we're probably going to transport most seizure patients because because of the disorientation. So our assessment-based approach for seizures. We're going to start with our scene size up, look for evidence of trauma, poisoning, or medical conditions. Again, the vast majority of the time when we get on scene, the patient is going to be postictal, very lethargic, hard to arouse. Uh, again, verbal, maybe only alert to a verbal stimulus or even further depressed into a painful stimulus. If we do get on scene and the patient is still actively seizing, again, we're going to take steps to protect the patient from injury, move objects away from them. And in some situations, seizures can precede a cardiac arrest, not likely unless it's like status epilepticus or it's a seizure brought on by severe hypoxia, et cetera. So again, protect the seizing patient from injury, moving furniture and objects away from the patient. Once we get that patient side, go ahead and start your primary assessment. General impression is the first step of the primary assessment. Assess the airway, breathing and oxygenation. If the patient's breathing adequately on their own, apply supplemental O2 to maintain O2 sets at or above 94%. Assess circulation and make our transport uh, priority, determine our transport priority. Mental status, uh, a post-seizure patient may be postictal or confused. Again, just very lethargic, hard to arouse, just appears very, very sleepy. Clear the airway, secretions, blood, and vomitus. Something to note, a patient is actively seizing. A lot of times their patients, those jaws are going to be clenched. So we're not probably going to be able to suction an actively seizing patient. Hopefully, the seizure stops quick enough, quick enough to where now we can go ahead and suction. Transport priority circumstances. So if the patient is completely unresponsive and they've been that way for several minutes, that's telling us there's something maybe else going on that caused that seizure and the patient may be pretty bad off. Again, any pro any times we have problems with the ABCs, that's always going to be a high priority patient. If we suspect status epilepticus, if they're still seizing, when we get on scene, they're continuing to seize throughout our assessment and, and doesn't appear to be stopping. At that point, we're going to start assuming this could possibly be status. And if they're actively seizing, it's probably going to be code three transport to the hospital. Again, if there's something that brought on that seizure that wasn't a seizure disorder, so pregnancy, eclampsia, is, could be life-threatening for not only the mom, but for the fetus as well. And somebody come, starts having a eclamptic seizure. The one patient or two patients I've had that had eclamptic seizures, it was immediate straight to, uh, to have a C-section performed to remove the kid. Diabetes. Remember, hypoglycemia especially can cause seizure activity. So just like within any altered mental status, we're going to check a blood sugar to rule out the possibility of being caused by hypoglycemia. Same is going to be true for seizures. Every single seizure patient, whether they have a history of seizures or not, we need to check a blood sugar to rule that out. 
or if they have any injury, it was a traumatic injury that caused the seizure, then that's a high priority of transport. If the seizure occurred in water, such as swimming, pool, or lake, very high likelihood of aspiration. So that would be a problem with the airway and breathing. High priority patient. Evidence of head trauma that start, led to the seizure. Again, if this is the patient's first ever seizure, again, we don't know if this is due to something like epilepsy or not. If they have no previous history, we're going to assume this is probably a provoked seizure. Something else is going on in the body that's causing that seizure. Or if the seizure is a result of drug or alcohol withdrawal. And we'll talk about things like the DTs uh, once we get into uh, next week, I believe. Secondary assessment. Make sure that we are taking time to assess the head uh, for any indications of trauma, especially if they fell during the seizure or hit their head during the seizure. Maybe weakness or paralysis to one side of the body during that postictal state. That is normal. Again, assess the extremities for any indications of trauma. Take the time to look inside the patient's mouth. Check the tongue, tongue, tongue cheek, uh, lips, anything like that for any indications that they bit the tongue or cheek and they're bleeding. Says vital signs again, and that includes blood sugar. Apply supplemental O2 if the blood pressure or the O2 sat is less than 94%. And again, get a BGL. Consider the need for ALS. If there is problems with the ABCs or if that patient is still actively seizing when we get on scene, we need to go ahead and request ALS backup. If that seizure is prolonged, ALS can give them benzos, benzodiazepines to try to stop the seizure activity. Obtain history, including medications, normal versus abnormal. If the seizure, is this their normal seizure or was the seizure they had today different than what they normally have? Do they take seizure medications? And if they are prescribed seizure medications, are they compliant on their medicines? Have they been following what the prescription says? And again, a lot of these seizure medications is has to build it to that therapeutic level, and them missing one dose may be enough to start making them have more and more frequent seizures. And it's typically not instantaneous. I forgot to take my nighttime seizure medication. I don't have a seizure that night, but I start having them the next day or two days down the, down uh, from that missed dose. Uh, table of nineteen three are just common medications that patients may take for seizures. I'm not going to go through all of them. Uh, I'll go through some of the, the big ones that we see. Uh, so diazepam, which is uh, the generic name for Valium, that is a benzo. So patients typically don't take that to prevent a seizure, but once they have a seizure, they may have Valium that family can give them. Uh, Depakote, Clonopin, Lamictal is pretty common. There's other uses for things like Lamictal as well. Keppra is probably the most common one that we're seeing nowadays. Ativan is another benzo. Phenobarbital is a older drug that used to be extremely popular for seizures. Again, it's not prescribed as frequently. 
Guy Lanton, again, used to be very extremely popular. It's still pretty popular. Popular. We'll see a lot of patients on Dilantin, Topamax. But again, Keppra, Dilantin, you still may see some on phenobarbital are all pretty common anti-seizure medications. During your secondary assessment, we can ask questions or be on the lookout for things like asking the patient, are you having an aura? Feel like you're about to have a seizure, loss of consciousness. Did the patient have convulsions, excessive saliva, getting incontinence of the batter, bladder or bowel, hyperventilation, tachycardia. And again, most of the time we find these patients having postictal confusion. Again, care for our seizure patients, protect the patient from injury. Position the patient. We can put the patient in that left lateral recumbent position if they're postictal, spine motion restrictions if we think that's going to be needed as well. Supportive measures, again, with those ABCs, make sure the patient's airway is open. If the patient is having things like snoring respirations, we can insert and use an NPA. An NPA would probably be our go-to for seizures because we don't want to insert anything into the patient's mouth. If they do start having another seizure, their mouth may again clamp, their jaw may clamp down, and now they may break teeth, et cetera, biting down onto that hard OPA. So typically we want to go straight to an NPA if the patient had a seizure. Suction the airway is needed. If the patient's not breathing adequately on their own, we're going to provide positive pressure ventilations, maintain an adequate O2, and transport. Again, all active seizures should be transported rapidly. So again, we get dispatched to a seizure, patient is still actively seizing by the time we get on scene, that's going to be an indication for a rapid transport to the hospital. If repeated seizures, patient is actively seizing or status epilepticus is present or we suspect it, contact paramedic backup again where they can give medications to stop the seizure activity. Reassessment, be prepared to manage additional seizures during transport, monitor the LOC, vital signs, maintain a quiet, calming environment during transport as well. All right, moving on to syncope. Syncope is a sudden temporary loss of Consciousness. So syncope is the fancy medical term for fainting. What causes a patient to faint or to have a syncopal episode is there's an interruption of cerebral perfusion. And this could be caused from a number of different things, but something is going on where the patient at some point and not enough blood is getting perfused or pumped to the brain. Brain's getting starved, deprived of freshly oxygenated blood. So it stops working, causes the patient to pass out. Common cause is an increased parasympathetic influence causing vasodilation. Once the body goes into a horizontal position, blood flow to the brain improves and normally the patient recovers quickly. So a patient may be up walking around, something's going on where the brain doesn't getting not getting perfused. Maybe their heart skips a beat, starts having cardiac dysrhythmias, their blood pressure is low. They have that uh, vasodilation. 
causes them to pass out, fall to the floor. Once they're laying down horizontally, now the heart is not having to work against gravity to perfuse the brain. So blood flow returns to the brain. Patient wakes up pretty quickly. In some instances, bystanders may mistake a syncopal episode for a seizure. So some things to know. Syncope normally begins with their standing up or sitting upright where they're having to work against gravity to perfuse the brain. Seizures can begin in any position. Syncope, they may complain of feeling lightheaded, weak, dizzy prior to the episode. Seizures, they tend to have an aura. Syncope, sudden loss of consciousness that immediately returns when supine or prone. With a seizure, it's a sudden loss of consciousness that persists and then has a gradual return to consciousness. Again, it goes through that postictal state. And this is where it likely can be confused. With a syncopal episode, the patient may still have some muscle twitching, but it's not going to be prolonged. It's not going to be that uh, convulsions. With a seizure, again, they will have convulsive muscle activity or repetitive movements during unconsciousness. With syncope, the skin is normally diaphoretic, cool, moist, pale. With seizures, it typically does not affect skin signs. So it can be warm, normal. It could be a little sweaty as well. For syncope, we conduct a primary secondary assessment looking for injuries if a fall did occur. And we want to keep the patients upon. We don't want to set them up, causing them to pass out again. So keep them upon. We could even put them in the shock position with their legs and feet elevated. If the patient did fall, we can consider the need for spinal precautions if indicated to do so. And again, them passing out is not necessarily what's really concerning to us, but what caused them to pass out. So consider serious underlying causes, encourage transport. Again, they may be dehydrated. They may have low blood pressure. They may have cardiac dysrhythmias, et cetera. So just do a very good assessment to see if we can figure out what possibly caused that syncopal episode. So in summary, seizures result from abnormal electrical impulses in the brain, which can manifest in a variety of ways. Remember, seizures are either characterized as generalized, meaning both hemispheres of the brain are involved, or partial seizures, where only one hemisphere of the brain is involved. And again, the vast majority of the time, what we get called to is a generalized grand mal seizure. Status epilepticus is a life-threatening emergency. And again, status epilepticus is a prolonged, very long-lasting seizure, or it's where the patient is having multiple seizures stacked on top of each other with the patient not regaining consciousness in between the seizures. Syncope, syncopal episode, fainting, results from a temporary interruption in brain perfusion. Syncope oftentimes can be benign, but can have serious underlying causes as well. So again, just make sure we're doing a good thorough assessment, trying to determine what caused them to pass out, if we do find something that we can treat, obviously we'll take steps and start treating it. So again, with seizures, vast majority of the time, it's a tonic-clonic grand mal 